Is your prostate waking you up more often than your alarm clock? The fact is, the older you get, the more likely you'll have prostate problems, which can affect your everyday life. That's where Prostate Complete by Real Health comes in. Prostate Complete is the result of 20 years of experience as a leader in men's health. The powerful formula in Prostate Complete supports natural prostate function and reduced urinary urges for a better quality of life. Available at Walmart. Visit prostateoneperday.com for special offers. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are listening to The Real Men Feel Show with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but you don't need to be a man to join us. The Real Men Feel Show is produced weekly for your growth and enjoyment. Listen to us on podcast platforms including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more. You can also watch the show on YouTube by visiting realmenfeel.org slash YouTube. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or subscribe on iTunes by visiting realmenfeel.org slash iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at realmenfeel.org and at facebook.com slash realmenfeelshow. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Your reviews, comments, feedback, and participation are welcome during the live show and anytime in our Facebook group, on Twitter, or at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get into this week's show. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel, and welcome to 2019. Woohoo! Uh, this is our 126th episode of Real Men Feel, which uh, really blows my mind because when it started in February of 2016, I wasn't sure if there would be an episode two. So uh, congrats to you for listening. Congrats to me for keep going and all our guests and fans and everything. But uh, just want to call that out to begin with. But I'm your host, Andy Grant. I haven't made that clear yet. Real Men Feel was created to remind men that they are actually human beings and they are emotional beings. And they have the right to feel and express all of their emotions. Many men may have discovered they often run into these other beings out there in life called women. So I thought it was a high time to actually have a woman come on the show and talk about manliness and masculinity and life in general and uh, get all sorts of good things going and kind of just a, a free-for-all topic. And I have found a most extraordinary woman to be our guest today. Uh, she's a writer, researcher, speaker, entrepreneur, mother, and host of the One Broken Mom podcast, Ami Kurikoni. Did I get it right? You did. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> cool. So we found each other on Facebook in a different podcast, guest site, something like that. And it feels like we do very similar shows just from different sides of the gender aisle. Right. Yeah, and, I think so. Yeah. And I'd even go, uh, based on the 15-minute conversation we, we had to talk about being on, we we're going to be on each other's shows, you know, Alex, you can go out on a limb and you can decide by the end if this is a compliment or a put down. But if I was a woman, I might be a me. <laughs> That might be true. Yeah. Um, if I, I clarify myself as a truth teller. Um, and so in terms of everything related to like mental wellness. And so if that's where you feel like you're out there just like vanguarding and, you know, kind of bringing it to the forefront, then I think you're absolutely correct, Andy. I think you and I are two peas in a pod. So cool. Cool. So, so your podcast is called One Broken Mom. And so how, how did it start? Why did you start podcasting? And, and do you consider yourself to be broken? Um, yeah. And you know what? That's a, that's a great question because I have had people that have, you know, queried me about the, the use of the word broken. And because in some ways it can feel very victim-y or shamey or pity party or whatever. And anybody that actually personally really knows me, I think that's why they question it's like a me, that's not who you are. You're not like a, a victim of circumstances. But the, the truth is, is that the word is important to me because it is when we deny that we have the cracks and the fissures and we spend all of our time pretending that we're perfect, we are missing tremendous opportunities to be able to heal and repair. You know, if you're sitting there drinking out of the mug that you know the handle's going to fall off every time and you just pretend that it's just fine until you end up with like hot coffee in your lap. And so One Broken Mom is being honest and transparent of like, yeah, I've, I've, failed. I still continue to, to, you know, mess up on occasion, but I'm in an active pursuit of fixing all of that. And I'm sharing with everybody 
company, what I have been learning along the way in hopes that it actually can help other people. And so it is not, it's not a pity party here. And it's not, I don't bring on people that are, you know, wallowing in pity parties. And we're not talking about, you know, woe is me kind of issues. We're talking about being brave enough to admit that we have a lot of stuff that we can work on and fix and doing something about it. So Cool. So it's not as if you feel that you or your audience are just in this permanent state of broken beyond repair and hopelessness. Yeah, no, that's not it at all. In fact, if that's what you want, I, you know, that's not my (laughs) game. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and so I I always tell everybody like this platform's great for me. I've always been a healer by nature. I've always been a helper by nature. Um, but I don't think I'll ever be a therapist or, a, a, you know, I do business coaching, but I stay out of the realm of like the therapy piece of it because I just, I, I know that I don't have the, the tact and the gentleness, I think when I, you know, I, I want to call bullshit on something. Um, and I know a therapist has to be really good about doing that. And so this platform allows us to be honest communication, honest dialogue and people, People that do listen to it, I, I think if they're in a pity party state, they're getting nothing from the experience. Hmm. The people that are joining me, you know, are broken moms. And I, I get messages all the time from broken men and broken dads, you know, and they're learning about themselves and that experience. And it's about how you heal those pieces. And we're all broken in different ways. Um, and to the extent we're broken varies because we've all had unique experiences. So there's a little bit for everybody there, but yeah, no, this isn't a, this isn't an all get together and kumbaya and, and hug over shame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's active, you know, this is a, a place for, you know, people that are like, yeah, I, I get this and this matters to me and I'm ready to do something and learn and, you know, as I go along the way. Cool. And so, so what are kind of some of the most common ways that, that moms feel broken? Is, yeah. is, is it primary relationship? Is it health? Like what, what, what's going on? Well, so for me and, and why the podcast really kind of jumped out was uh, I felt, I, I felt successful in many ways. Um, I felt like, Hey, I, you know, I've got a couple of college degrees, you know, but at the other end of the spectrum of it, the, the pieces of it that really felt unsettled was around the area of motherhood, where at times I felt like motherhood was in conflict of who I was as a person that I was constantly in this back and forth tug between my needs and kids needs, my needs, kids needs, my needs. And to the point of where actually about, um, gosh, when doing the timing now on this, it'd be like 2009. So this is uh, 10 years ago this year that I just fell apart. Like I failed the motherhood game altogether and I ended up getting divorced from my kid's dad. And in the conversations, the, uh, it was who's going to be the primary caregiver. And when my ex-husband said that he would take on that responsibility, I was relieved. And I think that's a sense of brokenness that a lot of women do feel of like, oh my God, I'm so relieved that I don't have to keep playing this part or this game. And it's hard to admit that you have those feelings because everybody goes, well, God, you're just a terrible woman. Like, how can you not totally love your children and be all into this, you know, motherhood thing? And the reality is, is I was, I was all in. I had my kids with purpose and intention. They weren't mistakes. They didn't happen by accident. There was a conscious effort to go into motherhood. But once I got into it and it was motherhood plus, other pressures going on in life that I just had no concept of how they were triggering wounds and stuff inside of me from childhood. And once I got in the role of motherhood, I found out how conflicted I was about motherhood because of childhood, my childhood. And I, I think that a lot of women feel like I can't admit that right now I don't know what I'm doing. It scares me that I resent it at times And I can't share that with anybody because there's this stigma again against women that if you're just not all into being mom and you can't love it and you're not willing to just like sacrifice every part of who you are to do this motherhood thing, well, then you're a piece of shit. And I've literally been called a piece of shit since I came out and started doing this by people with very small minds. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So I'm really finding this fascinating. Well, first, let me make it clear that that. Well, obviously, I'm not a mother, but I, I do not have children. My, my wife has never cared. I should say she has cared. She has never desired to have her own children. And I grew up the same way. And, and it was because of my childhood. I, grew, I, I did not like life as a child. And I swore at a young age, I'm not going to bring anyone else into this shitty fucking world. I'm, you know, I, um, multiple suicide attempts, uh, suicidal as young as being eight years old, I can remember. So that's when I really made vows that I'm not bringing more people into this. But so the, some of the challenges that, that I've had and my guests and listeners around being a man is this, the, this stereotypical 
impossible to follow notion of masculinity, the, the breadwinner, the always the warrior, the protector, the champion, the, the emotionless, you know, uh, robot, monster, warrior, perfect dad, perfect everything, perfection, perfection, perfection. And I've not heard of, of the mother's view of that too. And, and so it almost seems impossible that a typical mom can't feel broken comparing herself to this perfected, uh, all children come before me, and, and this selflessness of, the, yeah, just their needs matter, mine don't. Um, it, it sounds like a horrible trap. Why, why would anyone want to be a mother if that's the scenario? <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, and it, it stems from, you know, parts of it. I mean, we all have our own origin stories and I call them our trauma stories too. We all have it some degree or another, a trauma story. And, and, you know, and like I even say, like with a man who feels like his whole family life was great and everybody loved him and it seemed all normal. If he's still sitting here in his forties and he's still struggling with emotional connection and feels empty in places, he's got a trauma story in there as well. That's, you know, worth exploring and finding out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a huge, um, it's a huge, again, stigma and, and baseline that we have to apply to ourselves that, um, and I didn't want to have kids too, like you, because I, you know, my experience growing up was that at a very young age as the oldest with three younger brothers and being a capable, you know, more mature beyond my years appearing type of, you know, type of a child, you know, I ended up in a role where I was taking care of my younger brothers a lot. Um, you know, and it wasn't because there was some, you know, just terrible experiences going on. You know, I don't have a story where like mom was a prostitute and doing doing drugs all the time or anything like that. I tell everybody, I don't, I, I think my story in many ways is very similar to a lot of people, which is what is so important about understanding childhood trauma. Um, but growing up and having just spent, you know, by the time I was 18 years old, it's like, I don't want to have to look at another kid if I have to. And so I was like, I'm not into this. I'm not going to have kids. And um, it was only meeting somebody that actually liked kids and was good around kids that made me think, oh, maybe I can actually do the kid thing, you know? Um, and it kind of, you know, teased out those little pieces that are really genuine in me. Like I, I do want to be mom. I, but I didn't recognize at that point all the deficiencies I was going to have getting into it because I didn't know anything about mothering because I hadn't really been shown the modeling of what mothering of the unconditional loving type that's really kind of required. And that's what we all kind of struggle with here is, is identifying that piece of it. So um, how often does that happen? I think it happens to a lot of men and women, you know, that they, um, they have a, a, a parent model that they learn through childhood that they then grow up and find out that um, it might've been lacking in certain areas. And then they struggle daily with that. And they don't think that anybody else has the same problems. And so they keep it to themselves. And so people like you and me stick our necks out there and, you know, say, Hey, it's happening to me. And I'm, I'm, probably a lot like you in some ways. So I bet you have it. So let's maybe, you know, see if we can't draw it out and build community around this shared concept of fucked up childhoods. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the notion of, we talk about a real men feel often, the courage it takes, the bravery it takes for a man to say, I don't know what I'm doing. And, yeah. and tell somebody, and you said the same thing for, for women, for moms, for, for uh, probably for any role, right? If, if I'm a policeman, I'm like, oh, I've got to act like the perfect cop, or I'm a bus driver. Oh, I've got to act like the perfect bus driver, and I care about where I'm going, or whatever it is. Um, but the, the willingness to drop the mask to, and I find if that, that the first person to admit that, I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm freaking scared right now, is always met by someone else saying, like, exhaling, like, oh, me too. Right? Totally. Yeah. Um, otherwise, our shows would not last and we'd be talking just to ourselves, right? <laughs> right. And congratulations on a hundred shows because yeah, you got people coming to you that are like, dude, I get it. Like, uh, you know, thank you for that. So. So was, did it add to your challenge in dealing with your own traumas and comparing yourself to, you know, not wanting to admit you're not, you know, the perfection of, of motherhood in every moment did a relationship with a man who was not in touch with his own emotions and traumas, did that make it worse? 
Oh, totally. It absolutely made it worse. Um, because a part of the trauma story that I have is, uh, is really centered around codependency and, uh, and, and always being in a role growing up in a, a way. And, and I, I speak gently about my childhood because everyone's still alive. And I, this isn't about, um, I, and I always say this on my show, you know, there's no finger pointing on my show. There's no blaming other people that are walking in paths, you know, right now today, because we all don't, didn't know what we didn't know. Um, but you know, my own trauma story is built around the worker of, you know, if I do good things all the time, I get the positive attention, you know? Um, and so when you realize that that's the, the story you're carrying, the script that's written in your brain that you're carrying forward and you know, your relationship with your parents and primarily with your mother defines all the relationships that you'll have moving forward. And, uh, you know, that meant that I was picking emotionally unavailable people. And so then when my emotions became overwhelming, I, you know, was in situations, you know, romantically and even in cases professionally where I, I couldn't get any support. And yet I didn't know how to manufacture it for myself. I needed it to be, you know, something that I got. And so all of it, yeah, I mean, it's just like it was a cascading effect that, I did with my kid's dad. And then within a year, I was in another relationship, which is the last one I got out of. I mean, I'm a repeat offender here. I've been married twice legally. And then the last relationship is, was a committed in a relationship in Washington state. So it's my third marriage. That's not normal. And that's not ever what my goal was either, but it was because of making the same mistakes of choosing romantic partners that were always going to never be there the way that I was going to need it. But I didn't know that I was seeking that out because that was what I grew up around. Like that was a familiar aspect of life and our brain kind of just takes us there. So right. yeah, it was going to keep causing me problems until I realized, dude, I need to stop this like now today. So right. Even that, that old, the notion of the comfort zone, even, even if our comfort zone is something that doesn't feel good, it still somehow feels comfortable. Yeah. The and brain what, yeah. loves, the brain loves automatic. Like it, yeah. it loves to do and, and work within a framework of that, what it knows really well. And so if your experience is growing up and you know, this working in the field, you know, if your experience is growing up are laced with certain types of conditions, that's how your brain was put together. And then your brain's going to go, I've trained you for life. And this is the life we're going to have. And it just guides you along the exact same thing. But what's weird is that we're adults now and not little kids. And what was dangerous to us as kids isn't dangerous to us as adults, but yet, we still kind of, you know, weave in and out of that same script over and over and over again and go, God, why does this suck? You know, why, why is it against my better judgment? I'm still doing really weird, dumb, you know, strange things, you know, against my own, you know, desires and against my own amb ambition or, you know, my needs and wants. Like I just, I keep replaying that old tape in my head. So. Uh, what are some of the, the ways that have helped you most in, into feeling healing and, and repaired? You know, um, I, I, I say this all the time. I can't be a bigger advocate for actual therapy. Um, I get self-help. I get that it's a beautiful $12 billion a year industry that you and I are involved in in some ways. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, uh, the challenge of really going in and healing trauma is you have to have somebody point out to you that's objective, that cares about your well-being, but at the same time isn't going to just continue to feed your own, you know, delusions at times that you have about yourself and point out where your old wiring is making the answer, is generating the words that come out of your mouth or is the one generating the behavior and not what you really want for yourself. And that's really hard to do unless you've got like some really like Jedi level self-awareness. Um, and you can get there, um, but it does really help to, I think, have a therapist. And so when I started therapy like a year ago, um, I went every week. Like I, it was boot camp for me. And you have to also be prepared when you go down that path. You're going to spend a lot of time crying, and you're going to go through a lot of emotions of grief. Um, you know, grief for the childhood you never got. The grief for, you know, uh, things that happened that you wish didn't happen, sadness, you go through anger and you, you have to be just emotionally ready for that. And I know a lot of people dabble with therapy and they get out of it saying, well, I didn't like it or it didn't fit for me. And I think it's because they haven't quite hit that threshold. They haven't really hit rock bottom yet where they're like, I'm ready to feel all the feels and get through all of this. Um, but then once you start getting into it and it's very much like sobriety, like with any other, you know, any kind of an addiction, especially if it's codependency. And in fact, there is CODA, Codependence Anonymous and 12 step programs around that and love addiction, which is a topic that I've talked about. Um, 
you then realize that every action has a decision behind it and you have to think consciously. You're, you're no longer on autopilot because you're literally trying to change the autopilot setting that's trying to like veer you off into you know, the dark skies over here. And so that means when autopilot kicks in, you have to know that your autopilot is in. You have to tell your autopilot to back off and then make sure is this, and, and I'm in that state sometimes where I'm like, is this new autopilot or is this old autopilot? And so I, I, I hate to say this, but sometimes things just aren't as fun as they used to be because there's just so much like in your head thinking about it, but that's what's required. You know, that's the effort that you have to go in and, and be into it. And it's like, like I said, it's like having a drug or alcohol addiction. Like you make conscious choices and you have to talk yourself in and out of a lot of things on a, on a regular basis. Like when you're parenting business, you know, do I date or not date? You know, what are all these other things? And they're all, they're all weighed with pros and cons, you know, regularly until it becomes the new, the new autopilot, it becomes the new normal. Um, and that, that does take time. Yeah. Like you said about the, you know, not liking all the things that the, the things you used to like don't feel as fun. And, and when I, when I find that, when that shows up to me, like, ah, this was just total distraction. Mm -hmm. It was lying to myself that it was fun. It was to avoid the unfun, the pain, the feeling. Right, and, right. Uh, that dopamine is a great drug, yeah, right? you yeah. know, and that's why there's addictions. Like you don't actually have to take drugs to be addicted to yeah. certain, you know, circumstances, people, actions, activities, because dopamine is awesome, you know, and feeding it, you know, and dopamine does a really great job of making you feel good, you know, when you feel really, really crappy. So yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's a powerful thing to, to, to overcome. Yeah. But I always tell people, you know, talk about people that, that go into therapy and then as soon as it gets challenging, they're like, eh, I don't like it. But mm -hmm. if, if you like every session with your therapist, counselor, or, or coach, you're not doing the work. You're not going deep enough. Right. Right. It's, right. it's not, it's not chit chat over coffee and tea. Like that you can do that. You can just go to any Starbucks to get that. But yeah, you, you can do that with your yeah. friends if you want to do that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, 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 you have to go in. I mean, I don't wear makeup when I go see my therapist because I, you know, I know it's all going to be down my face if I go <laughs> in. Um, but I'm ready for that piece of it. And that's an unsettling part too. I mean, when you've been locked in like emotionally uh, and it's not fluent for you to express or feel and you want to keep choking it back in. I think that's the other reason people like run from therapy too is because yeah, when they start to have to feel something and they've been, you know, kind of brought up in a way that says, listen, you know, don't feel that like you shouldn't feel that way or whatever. Therapy is really, really hard. And, and there's so much trust in there. And you know, those of us that have have a trauma story, there's usually a violation of some primal trust in there, whether it was with mom, dad, you know, somebody else, but we were violated. Our trust was violated. And it's really hard to find that and be able to give that to somebody that might be a complete stranger with our deepest needs, you know? Um, but God, it's, it's life-changing, you know, when you actually can do that. So yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm really finding this whole conversation fascinating because so often, you know, one of the secrets of the show is just having to remind men that they're humans. And, and now hearing so much of it from, not the other side, hearing this from, from a woman, but that, you know, the kind of being in my spot, I have to keep reminding people that, you know, men weren't brought up to feel other emotions and men were brought up to shut things down. And you're saying, no, it's not like women were brought up going, hey, feel it all. Yeah, express yourself. And like that's maybe it's true for some families, but certainly not for all. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's... Um, that's that's absolutely true. I think, however, though, we're able to find more community of uh, of other women. Maybe it's outside of our family that we do feel like we can share, and um, because I think the difference is not that we've been messaged that women feel. Um, it's that we haven't gotten the message about feelings. Like we haven't been told that we are feeling creatures all the time growing up. Hey, you know, unless it's been used against us, like you're just being too emotional, mm, which yeah. you know is one of the messages we do get. But the contrary is, is that men, on the other hand, have been told repeatedly that they can't feel, that they're not supposed to feel, that they just don't understand it as well as women. And so the, I think the real difference is that, you know, we are, our emotional needs as women, men, everybody, but, you know, even, emo, you know, the emotional needs of women still haven't been fully met as well as they could have been. And that's, you know, some of that's intentional and some of that is just, we just didn't know. But men on the other hand have been, you know, and not all men, but a lot of men have been, have been consciously told that the feelings are not a part of their biological nervous system. And therefore, you know, whatever you're feeling is, is not normal. Like just displace it. You're not supposed to have it. Right. And I think that's a lot of it, what we deal with in our culture. 
Yeah, right. And, and, you know, growing up, like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, the worst thing possible was to be challenged that way. And like, oh, you know, you, you, you don't, you cry like a girl. Don't be a little girl. Don't, you know, don't be, don't have emotions. Don't be womanly. Right. That, mm-hmm. that's the worst thing I could do. Yeah. Um, no, so in conversations about what we want to talk about, you mentioned that there was something you saw as the biggest trauma that men experience. Is, is this related to that? Is that being, being yeah. told? I I think that is a big piece of it, but, you know, I think that, you know, again, I'm not a therapist. So, and I always tell everybody, but I'm well-read. I've been studying, talking and everything like that. So if a therapist out there wants to challenge my diagnosis here, just so be it, I'm fine. You know, I'm confident (laughs) in myself, but I am going to say that, um, I, I do believe, and I say this, this is at the root. This is why I do a show. And, and what started me on this path is that it's our, our, most primitive, our, our first love affair is with our mothers, men and women alike. And a disruption in that relationship is really going to become the root and the baseline of so many of the things that we're going to experience, you know, through childhood. And as we get in through our adult life and when men as a boy want to emotionally connect with their mother, emotionally connect, have a loving connection with their mom. But mom has been carrying the bias that they don't need that or don't get that. That longingness for connection is the is the basis of so much of the personal romantic relationship issues that they, they have moving forward and why, you know, sometimes, you know, women are like, I can't get him to talk to me and open up. And it's like, well, you know, he was never able to figure out that feminine mother, son, unconditional love, emotional connection, because oftentimes too, in our families, what do we do? We're like, go talk to your dad about that. Well, dad's got about as much tools in that toolbox as his dad did. And I mean, and so it's that intergenerational of just passing the buck from one man to the next. And, um, and, but at the core of it, you're, I mean, my heart aches. Like I have a son. So I I speak at this, like I get when my son wants to connect with me and I have to be there for him and not dismiss the fact that he, he feels like his sister does. He feels like I do, you know? And when a boy grows up and doesn't feel like he ever had that, that real deep connection. And a lot of times, you know what, we don't know we didn't have that connection. Right. You know, it's a gap that we have to go back through therapy and figure out like, oh my gosh, yeah, I never really got to feel like my mom ever, you know, came in and hugged me or she only did it at certain times, you know, under certain conditions. But for the most part, you know, I was told to go outside and play or go do boy things or go talk to dad about that problem. And they never got the benefit of, you know, of learning those emotional, those emotional connections. So has raising your, your son altered your perspective on, on men? Um, it hasn't altered my perspective. I never believed the bullshit bias that men couldn't get it. You know, I, you know, I even have conversations today, you know, with, with people, my age, women, my age, and even men that kind of figure, you know, Hey, well, I guess we're just not wired that way, but I think men are changing. I think they're starting to say we do feel, and I appreciate that the challenge is, is to get other women to acknowledge that that's actually true. Um, And so I never really felt that, but it, it did make me ache. I mean, ache is a word that I use ache so much more for my son's well-being because what scared me about being a mom of a son is understanding that you know um, your suicide story is is powerful and we know that a lot of men when they get into their 40s kill themselves and to me it is my son if i want him to survive his entire adulthood it will matter what i do with him today and if he gets to his hurdles in his life in his 40s and he doesn't have the emotional tools that he needs that i need to give him like right now then he may not make it all the way through i might be able to get him out of the house and feed him and do all these things today but his emotional well-being is the most important thing that will carry him through whatever trials and tribulations that he's going to run into because life is not going to be easy you know we're going to run into these things that happen grief is going to happen we're going to have friendships that fail our you know business successes may come and go and i want him to have that mental fortitude for that and so i am you know really focused on well how do i make my son a resilient, strong, and happy 40-year-old, not just how do I make him as happy as a 16-year-old today. So how do you? Gosh, um, (laughs) one is uh, recognizing when he's shutting down when he, because he's gotten messages like everybody else. Don't feel that way. You're, what you're doing is inappropriate. It's not right. It's, you know, not wrong. And th- those messages didn't come from me. They come con- kind of from the environment around. Yeah. And so, and I find that like, whenever we butt heads, they're teenagers, you're going to 
butt heads with your teenagers. Um, but a big piece for me was understanding adolescent brain development and the science in there that, you know, the kids are at a place where they're, they are a little crazy. And that's exactly the way the brain is designed to work. It's coming online in different ways, being respectful of that. Um, but my kid, at the end of the day, when he's feeling pain, he wants me to know that I feel his pain, that I actually understand his pain and I feel it with him through empathy. Um, I'm not telling him that his pain is irrelevant. I'm not telling him that, um, I'm making sure that if he feels shame and I can, I, you know, I make sure that I'm detecting that, like, is he feeling anxious and is he feeling shameful about that anxiety? Like he's not doing good in school and it's scaring him and it makes him feel that way that I get that that is. And to reassure him that that's fine. And that always I'm here. And, um, you know, one of our things that our kids do, especially as they're teenagers is they definitely test our metal and, um, and you, you probably have heard the stories, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, this kid's being an asshole right now. But you know, what's the biggest powerful message is your kid is going to have their ups and down moments, but they need to know that you're always going to be the center of the storm. You know, you're going to be that safe harbor that they can come to. And so even if my, my kid is discharging their anger or, you know, upset about something, it happens, but I don't judge them for it. I don't harsh, you know, say harsh things about it. Like you overreacted. You should have never done that. You know, none of those words come out of my mouth and I let my kid know I love him. I love you. And that seems so simple, but yet, I mean, it turns a corner when my son comes from feeling anxiety or upset about something and he's got his own trauma that we're healing. We're healing his trauma now that he has as a result of, well, you know, I tell everybody from quite honestly having me as a mom for a few years. Um, and so we're healing those pieces of it. And so it's a conscious effort of like, I want you to have a healthy relationship with me. I want you to know that I get you emotionally, that you have emotions and they're valuable and they're important. And not all emotions that are important are the good ones. The ugly, despicable, ugly ones that make us feel terrible are just as important. And I need you to know that you can safely have them here with me so that, and we can talk. And if you don't want to talk, that's fine. And then when you do want to talk, I'm there and I, I feel you. And that's going to be the, you know, the biggest part that will carry him through. I, you know, I believe, I hope, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed, right. Uh, but there's nothing really more than that, it, you know, and it, what you do for your kid depends on what your kid's like. My daughter, on the other hand, shares very openly, but also that's part of her wiring too. You know, it's not just the experience she's had with me, but that's just the way that she was, you know, made genetically. That was part of her default settings coming out of the box. Can you have the conversations that you have with your son with adult men? Um, no, I usually can't. And the difference is, is because my son is receptive and open and where he is right now, just based on that adolescent brain development phase, he's in an emotional state right now. His prefrontal cortex, this is an executive function at the front of our brain that you and I use every day to make our decision making. When I'm speaking with adult men, that's where they're usually kind of centered and coming from. They've sequestered through or don't feel as comfortable talking from that emotional place. But with my son, he's in the midst of all of that. That's why it's so important to have more empathetic conversations with him rather than dictatorial, you need to do this kind of conversations because he's just not there yet anyways, and they aren't going to mean anything to him. Um, and so it is hard to have emotional conversations with a lot of men because they're, they forgot what it was like to feel really emotional when yeah. it was, you know, a part of their, you know, part of the, the brain development at that, at that age. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering. So, but your goal with your son is so that he can always have this level of openness and feeling go forth in his Absolutely. life. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So you yeah. don't want him to close down and only be in the frontal cortex. No, no. And right now he has no frontal cortex. I mean, you know, his frontal cortex and for all of us, didn't really, doesn't really come to full development until we're in our twenties. And that's one of the like emerging information and emerging as in the last 20 years that we start to the, you know, researchers, I say we, like I have a CAT scan and I figured this all out. Uh, you know, we as a culture and society have started to come together. Um, but he just doesn't have that. It's, it's, it's developing. So problem solving is important for him. He's got to have, be able to learn how to make decisions on his own and not be told what to do. But the feeling pieces of it, like when he's frustrated by the you know, those actions or indecisions and, um, and rising and falling dramatically between emotions. I mean, that's just where he's at right now. And that's where I need to be. And I've talked about it before with other people about being bilingual. When you parent teenagers, 
you know, teenagers more so than I think other kids, um, you have to be bilingual. You have to remember to move out of your adult brain, which is prefrontal cortex driven, you know, maybe instigated by emotions that come out of the, you know, the primitive parts of our brain. And you got to get back into, okay, how does my kid really see the world? The kid sees the world through, you know, the emotional piece of it. There's no processing. There's no logic. We get mad at teenagers because they're not rational. No, they're not. They're not meant to be rational. They're still developing those pieces of it. We need to help them, you know, nurture those parts of it. Um, and it can be frustrating to flip back and forth between, oh my God, I wish he could just set his alarm every day and get up on time. You know, that'll come with time. It, you know, right now that's just not where he's at and you got to meet them where they're at, not force a kid to come to you at an adult stage before they're ready. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Cool. So I've had multiple shows about MGTOW. Are you familiar with that term yet? No, no, no. Men going their own way. Men okay. so fed up with relationships with women, they just go, no, I'm done. I, I will live like a monk. I'm, I'm you know, going to be an asexual being. I don't want women in my life. I don't want relationships. don't want anything. Um, so I wonder if, if there's, are, are, are you fed up? Are, are you, <laughs> do you, do you want to just remain single? Have you given up on, you know, on, no. on men and their emotions or you know? No, no. And I was like, well, it's like getting awkward. No, it's not really. Um, I do, you know, my part of my journey has been to um, first identify the fact that my relationships were always built around codependency and that's not healthy. And I did have to go through withdrawals, relationship withdrawals and love addiction withdrawals. And love addiction is where you have to be in a relationship because it feeds you. Like you don't have an identity unless somebody is giving you something or, but what the problem with codependency is, is that you are never getting anything. And so you feel like your worth is by showing how much and how awesome you are and what you can do for them. And, and so, you know, I did stop dating for a while because it was like, dude, this is like detox. It is literally a detox, a, a, you know, an emotional detoxification and then, uh, and then dealing with the withdrawals where you're just like, but I, I feel lonely. I, I need to see somebody like, and, and real and recognizing it is what you seek though, is still not good for you. Like your withdrawals are, um, gosh, what I really want is kale. No, your withdrawals are, <laughs> I need more tequila, you know? Um, and so those, those happened for codependency and, uh, and I had to get through that pace. And then I decided, you know, like a few months ago, like, uh, I think that I've, I've, I've found enough landmines on my horizon to tiptoe around and that maybe I'm ready to, you know, to date again. And so I, you know, went out on a few dates and then identified where I wasn't quite fixed yet, you know? And so I haven't sworn dating off, but I do, you know, I do take, like I said, it's just not as fun as it was before because there's a lot of thinking that's involved in it. And I have to always be testing my own boundaries and my ability to set my boundaries so that I don't find myself back in a codependent relationship. I can identify red flags. And it's not like um, I'm against men. I'm not at all. But we're all at different places in our journeys. Mm -hmm. And it really is important for me to, to be uh, around people that know, that know they're on a journey that know that they're healing. I don't care where you are. I don't judge you by if you're way behind me or whatever, but if you're not even walking the path, yeah. we're not going to sync up. And I, I don't want to be around that. And that's, and again, that's not a, a discredit to people out there. I mean, I, I don't, you know, don't judge people for, you know, it's not like I got some self-awareness and now I can just, you know, Lord over and I, no, that's not it at all, but it is important for health that we are with, with people that are in the same mindset you know? Um, so I, I, I gingerly tiptoe around and, you know, wade in, I, I equated, I wade into the water. Um, and then I come back out of it. Um, and not by intention, but just by circumstance. And I'm proud of the fact that it doesn't always work out. And when I come out of it, I'm like, okay, but guess what? You found this new line for you to work on. You, you did this. I'm proud of you and me for recognizing this red flag and knowing to avoid it because old of me would have been like jumped in, thrown, the, pulled the flag out, tossed it to the side and charged ahead. Um, and I, that's not where I'm at right now. So um, I'm still, my goal, you know, to be honest is I still do want a wonderful, loving relationship with a man. And I want it to be a, a good permanent relationship, but I'm also not in a place where I'm going to make anything that comes in the front door work for me. I like, I'm, I'm past that, that place emotionally, you know, in terms of my own healing process and my own discovery process. So, so you're very clear on, on what you want. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, have you ever, have you had that yet? 
Um, I have seen glimpses of it in different qualities and different people. Um, and so, you know, I've, I have gone out um, with somebody that was really receptive to knowing about me at, at an emotional level. And as I got to know him, he needed that himself. Um, where we ended up, I think, kind of parting ways was he was a little too far back in the journey, you know, in terms of, of dealing with a trauma. I mean, I, I already recognize, and I'd say, you know, when I date, I come with a backpack full of trauma and I'll set it on the chair and it'll either freak you out or you'll put yours next to mine and go, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so his, his backpack there wasn't fully packed there. And again, that's his, that's his path and his journey and he's got to go on it. Um, but I am always looking and I'm, I'm mindful of that. And sometimes I do talk to somebody that seems to uh, have some awareness, but most of the time I've got, you know, I've met with gentlemen that are sweet, fun, but don't really understand how their own relationships with women have come to be, how they've come to be. And part of that, when it, you know you sit there and you talk with them, and I don't want to scare guys, and probably this is why I also don't get a lot of dates, is because I don't sit down and therapize everybody I sit with. Um, I, I avoid doing that. Um, but I do sit there, and sometimes I recognize, oh, gosh, you know, um, I feel bad that you didn't get the connection with your mom that you wanted to get, <laughs> you know, um, they've had hardships with their own mother or their own mother, you know, has emotional and maturity issues. And you get that out through the conversation and you just kind of go, okay, I think that this probably, th these are some red flags. Cause here's the thing about, about me is I have tattoos. You can't see them, you know, on this interview, but the photos of me and stuff like that, I have the tattoos. I've got a look that I think guys go, God, she's a little bit of a hot mess. That's exciting. Right. And then they get to know me and I'm not that much of a hot mess. I'm a complete <laughs> nerd. And, but that hot mess is what's teasing them into interest in me because they want a little bit of that emotional instability themselves because that's the familiar relationship with a female. Right. Um, and like I said, not all guys are that way, but I, I do get a lot where that's where you kind of go, Oh, you're present. Like, me, you're sitting there present in this moment, not making me worry or guess or wonder what's on your mind. You're sharing that. And I, that's not usual for me. And it, it kind of like, kind of freaks, you know, men out. And yeah. it's like, I'm sorry if that freaks you out because I'm going to be a sharer. <laughs> and if you can't receive it, I'm not going to lock myself in because of your uncomfortableness. And so it's like, okay, well, it was nice knowing you and, you know, go back to doing whatever I'm doing. So Cool. So, so I love uh, explaining that and uh, the people expecting the mess and then kind of being disappointed. But, yeah, totally. I disappoint yeah. a lot of guys. I mean, I have no problem admitting that. And a lot of guys will go, oh, no, you can never disappoint me. And it was like, you know, trust me, we'll get there. <laughs> um, and, it, and it really does. I think it comes down to the fact that you know, intensity, that's one thing that we grew up with, especially if we had trauma, you know, really, you know, uh, traumas in our life and especially around mom. If mom was a little involatile or she was inconsistent, sometimes she was there for you, sometimes she wasn't there for you. As a kid, we need her there all the time, you know? Um, and so we start to confuse intimacy with intensity. So I, I do know this about me. It's a word that gets used, intimidating. Intense is a word that's used to describe me. And so when people are like, ooh, she's super intense and she's super extroverted, and then they meet me now, and I used to be, I mean, I'm not going to lie, Andy, I was like, I could, if you wanted a hot mess, I could totally be a hot mess for you. And that was the codependent, you know, woman that was just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to like me. And that mm -hmm. meant being a chameleon. I'm, I'm just, I'm not that chameleon anymore. Um, and so guys like, oh, wow, she's just kind of like, there's a lot of normal to her. And, yeah. and like I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a nerd. I will admit that. Like I love things. I love learning about stuff. And if I don't give you that, you know, emotional instability, or I'm going to have to work for her a little bit or that kind of thing, then guys are like totally disappointed in it. Like, you know, and that's, that's them and not me. And I had to get to that place too, where it was like, I didn't take it all personally. It's like, no, it's just, you're good. My therapist said, you'll, you'll probably 95% of the time, most guys won't get you. And then probably 3% of the time you'll do the, you know, cutting out. And that leaves you with an abysmal to the percent of the men out there that you'll find like a good connection that you might be able to build something with it. And I was like, ah, oh, cool. <laughs> Great. I'm ready for this, I guess. <laughs> so uh, being so, so open and aware and a sharer and, you know, you meet someone and you, you put your knapsack of trauma down. Is there a danger of coming across, you know, the fixer 
The guy's like, oh, oh I can, oh, I can, t- let me fix that knapsack for you. <laughs> let me unpack that. Let me, yeah. you know, let me put you back together. And Totally. And I'll tell you that that was, um, I loved that before. <laughs> and so that was one of my love addiction pieces was um, the posturing of that. Yeah, I, you know, I need somebody to come in and take care of me. Mm-hmm. To me, that meant back in the day that you saw me and you understood me and you got my pain and you'll support me with that, you know, that need of being seen and heard. So when somebody steps in and says, I can help you and take care of you, when you've grown up not having that need met, you know, then it's very attractive. Um, today, I do get that occasionally that, you know, oh gosh, you're in need, maybe I can do something for you. And I, I now know that um, your need, not you, but you know, a man's need to feel like he needs to fix me is a codependent tendency and that his trauma story is him needing to go in and, and I'll say this, sweep in and help mom out with all of her problems. And if he grew up in that environment and he still thinks that that's how he proves himself, he's got some work to do. And if he's in therapy working on it, great, I'll, I'll yeah. date him. Um, but if he hasn't figured that out, then it's going to be a reverse codependent relationship that I don't, won't be good for either one of us. It won't right. be sustainable. It won't be healthy. And I, I don't need that, you know, and I don't want that piece of it. I, you know, one thing I say a lot is I'm just looking for equality, you know, and equality doesn't mean that we split the bills in half or we do all these other things, but we're emotionally balanced with each other. And sometimes, you know, the pendulum does swing one way or the other, but it can't always be pushing in one direction, you know? And so if your need is to jump out at me and take care of all my problems right away, because you think that's, what's going to win me, I'm not that person anymore. Like that's, that's not going to win me over. That's just going to tell me that like, man, I feel for you (laughs) and you know, and I, and I uh, wish the best for you, but I would love for you to understand why you feel like you need to help me out. Like, that's what I want for you, you know? So. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been married for 21 years. Um, so I date as about as much now as I did when I was single. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there is now the, you know, uh, uh, AwareDating.com, the the enlightened sharing emotional support site, or, or where where you go to find your two percent. You know, dude, I don't even know. Um, I uh, online dating, I, I, I love hate relationship, and I'm in hate mode of it right now. <laughs> um, signed off on everything because I also just found that like, you know, I'm not looking right now. Like it's not a it, it's not the priority for me, and it doesn't mean I've dismissed it, but it's just that you know, when you get out of love addiction and you get out of codependency, you realize, gosh, I get to spend time on me and doing my thing. And my mindset is, is that as I, as I continue to heal myself and then really put myself into my passions, like the, the podcasting and stuff like that, then the, the circles change around you. Um, and the people change and eventually who will start coming into those boundaries. And then these fences, you know, in the, in the new parts of it will be people that will be more compatible. You just, you kind of have to go through the, the kind of the weeding out and the waiting for people to come in and having patience that that's just going to happen. It doesn't happen instantly. And so that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, with this emotionally is like, um, it, online dating to me is like going to a restaurant and picking off of a menu and I'm just, I'm not hungry, you know, right now. So, um, and I don't like going through the, you know, the exchange and spending the time. I mean, I hate to say this, like, I just don't like spending the time to find out that this is going to be 95%. I really genuinely think that at the end of the day, that 2% will come by me being myself, doing the activities that are fun for me, that are exciting, that challenge me. Um, and I will meet the old fashioned way, the way we've literally been doing it for, you know, a very long time, people that are in your environment around you that you begin to get to know and connect with, not exclusively, you know, online, you know? So, yeah, I mean, but- I hate, I'm sorry, match is probably never going to sponsor me or any of those <laughs> other places, but I'm, I'm okay with my choices for myself. So, yeah. When, when, when I'm coaching people and they're, they're looking for relationships and, and then they're the dating world. Yeah. I'm amazed how often, you know, why do you go somewhere you don't want I you know I don't want I don't want to date a drunk so I go to bars to meet men I'm like well why do you do that you know yeah go just go out have fun be yourself and let people be attracted to you don't yeah don't go to where you think you're supposed to go to meet people yeah just just be yourself and and yeah. let 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 life attract them to you yeah. right right and I gotta say you know I am also um, I'm introverted you know I get a lot of um, I refill you know on my own some people fill up 
their emotional buckets by going out engaging with people. And I know it's a weird thing because people are like, well, you don't seem very introverted. Introverted doesn't mean I'm shy. It means how do I come to my emotional center again? And, it, and it's in solitary. Yeah. And so when my bucket's full, um, I don't need to go out and see people. And so one of the, you know, the dangers that I do get into is it's like, eh, I'm fine sitting on my couch and not doing any, like, you know, it's going to take extraordinary things sometimes to draw me out into public situations. And so, you know, I, I have a few friends that know, like a me, you got to move, you know? And so it's like, okay, I feel like it, but I always joke that, you know, my social life is I, in, I'm introverted until I find people that are worth extroverting for. Oh, um, and so you have to, you know, kind of crack through there, but I, you know, that, that also is that piece of it of like, I just, I'm, I'm happy. I'm finally happy. And I've always been happy on my own, but I'm really fully finally happy with just me at this point in time. And I don't have that, that need. And so I'm enjoying that, which means, yeah, like I'm, I'm cool with just, you know, Netflix and chilling on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's a fine, cause that's, and you know, com comparison is the thief of joy. It's the, when, when, if we can all be at the place where I like what I'm doing. I like me at the end. And it's not like, but what do they think? What do they think? And oh, is this okay? Or, you know, I got to put on Instagram what I'm doing to make sure the world approves of it or any of that mm -hmm. crap. Yeah. Cool. So I, I wonder, is there anything that, that you wish, you know, men knew or realized more? Yeah. Gosh. I mean, this is only what, an hour? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think the key overriding message, you know, that I do wish that they knew, and I think that this is probably why, you know, I, I expected when I stepped forward and started doing One Broken Mom that, you know, I had some expectations on who the people would be that'd be attracted to it. And, and I felt like a lot of them would be women, moms that are just like, oh my God, somebody finally admitted that this sucks sometimes or that, you know, I, I've messed up and then how do I fix? And, um, but I have found over the time, a lot of men have come in. And so I'm like, my, my, my program, I'd say is about 50, 50, you know, I get an email from a, a man about just as often as I do from a woman that just is thanking me or talking or wants to share just a little bit about their own trauma story. And I believe that a part of that is because they're reaching out and they're finally hearing a genuinely sympathetic and almost maternal ear for them. And they, that they've never really had in their, their life before. Um, and I, I think that for me, I, I really wish and hope for men to really begin to truly identify what they were missing, you know, from that maternal relationship standpoint. And I know that's hard because we are also wired to idolize our parents, no matter how crappy or shitty they've treated us. Mm. And a lot of men will sit here and listen and go, oh, I love my mom and my mom loved me back. And it's like, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that uh, at all. But somewhere in there, though, might be an opportunity to understand that she may not have given you what you needed. And maybe it was because she had her own hard life. And, you know, single moms are tough um, because, you know, I sit there and get very frustrated that I have my needs. I have my needs include paying bills, going to work. You know, I have adult, you know, needs of, uh, you know, going through a breakup and the emotional drain on me. And it's hard as mom to also go through our own pain, our own issues, and then find that time that we really do have to find a way to be able to then deliver and meet the needs of our children as they're developing. And, and so it's possible that you love your mom and you have a, you love her today and she adores you, but that doesn't mean that it's possible somewhere in there, your needs weren't entirely met. And until you understand that piece of it, you aren't going to have the richest, fullest, best, happiest life, uh, you know, that you'll ever have without really getting into it. And it, and it's possible to do that. It is possible to do that. Maybe you do it independent of telling your mom that you're going to therapy to talk about your childhood because you don't want to hurt her feelings. Great. Do that. Um, maybe, um, maybe there's an opportunity to work it out with her, but you know, I, I, that primal relationship is, is super important and not really understanding or being fearful of engaging and understanding where it could have been improved and how our script was written in a way that is hurting us today and holding us back. Um, I just, that's, I think that's what I'd like men to know, you know, feeling like, and I do get, I see codependent men reach out to me. Gosh, you know, I feel like I'm working so hard in my relationship and I just sit there and go, think back to how you grew up. Was that something that you had to do for your mom? Well, yeah, my mom totally needed me. Like she was struggling and all that. It's like, well, you know what? Good for fucking you for stepping up and taking care of your mom. But guess what? 
you now need to learn how you need to take care of yourself because it's not your job to t continue to take care of everybody else around you. Right. You know, and those are probably the codependent guys. Those are the ones that like, like I said, those are the tougher ones because they do everything out of a place of love. It's not manipulation. It's not all of that. And, but you got to understand why do you feel like that need is there and get to it. Does that answer that question? For yeah, you, no. And it, and, and I, I agree with it uh, wholeheartedly because, because, being loved, you can say, oh yeah, my parents love me so much, but I still had a freaking horrible, shitty, you know, mess of a life. So we need to be loved, but being loved doesn't fulfill all our needs. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. So, and it's a willingness to be okay with that and look at that. Um, but you, you mentioned that um, we're all brought up to like idolize our parents and in my experience and with most of the, my male friends, we had to idolize mom. You could never put down mom, but you could, like, I could hate on my dad. I could blame my dad for all sorts of stuff, but, oh, not, but not mom, especially once he got divorced. Like, if I was, I was brought up just by a single mom, so I couldn't, I couldn't attack her, hate on her, have a fight with her, then I'm afraid, well, I might be the next guy kicked out of the house, right? I've just got to placate and, and be nice and shut, shut up and not talk back and be the good boy. But, but for dad, yeah, we would battle and fight and because yeah. that's, that, that's okay. But yeah, you can't talk back to mom and you have to honor right. mom. And even if, yeah, but it, but yeah, it, and it, it messes shit up. Um, it does. It does. Yeah. And you know, and part of that, I mean, honestly, is that primal connection. You know, there's not a lot of uh, default settings that come out of the box when we're born in terms of our brain. You know, our brain is ready to go, hopefully, to make sure that the lungs breathe in air, the heart pumps, and, you know, certain functions function. And, um, but it is, it is ready to receive information. That's how it learns. And it, it's, um, it's primary source of that information is the woman who birthed the human that it came out of, you know, now I do get, you know, that there are children that get adopted right away and they form, you know, a, you know, a caregiving, you know, connection with a different parent. And that parent isn't always female either. Totally get that. It's a primary caregiver. And that primary caregiver's responsibility is, um, it is to connect, you know, with that child. I mean, babies dying it from emotional neglect. You can feed them, you can change their diapers, but if they're not being emotionally stimulated, they fail, they die. Um, and there's research to show that that's the case. And so when, um, you know, part of your like, I have to love my mother, that's one of our default settings. Yeah. You got to be paying attention to what she's doing because her modeling is what's teaching you about your life and how you're going to avert danger and how you need to emotionally relate to other people. And so if mom darts around and you're following her and the modeling is not consistent or um, she uh, it, it's toxic, you know, sometimes the models that we have for us are drugs and abuse and, you know, other things because that was the model that they're, you know, playing out. Um, it makes it really challenging. I, I agree. It is really super easy to, um, to have disdain for everybody else around you, but adore the fuck out of your mom growing up, even when they can be the source of your pain and suffering in there. And part of that is your default wiring. She's the person you need to connect to. And then part of it is culture. And Alice Miller wrote a book. Um, she passed away. She was a Swedish Swiss, Swiss psychologist, uh, died in like 2010, but her book, The Body Never Lies, she attacks this topic of of us, you know, uh, refusing to challenge our parents, forgiving our parents for whatever, you know, despicable, deplorable thing that they did. And even the subtle things that happened in there that we're not allowed to challenge our parents. And for that reason there, a lot, a lot of people won't journey down the path of, you know, of this childhood trauma and to go out and tease it out. And then trauma is the other word too, right? Trauma means beaten. It means sexually abused. It means locked in the closet, but trauma is, not that always that severe. Some of it is just the, every time you needed mom, she was too busy for you. Or every time you needed mom, she was crying because she was depressed and upset. And you had to figure out what you were supposed to do on your own. And unfortunately, kids are not wired to teach themselves. They are wired to learn that from somebody. And so when we struggle as adults, it's because sometimes you had to figure it out on your own and you didn't have like a stable, consistent model for you. And you know what? You can change that. You really can. You can dig in and, you know, replace those wires and, you know, and improve yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point about trauma. I, I think it was Wayne, Dun you know, someone, some great uh, 
mentor and speaker in the past talked about a story of, you know, two sisters and wanting ice cream and mom only had enough money for one. So one sister didn't get ice cream that moment. And that's the moment that that became trauma. And she was like, I'm never good enough. I'll never match. And she like life of depression and comparison. And yeah, so it wasn't, you know, things can land traumatically that, you know, from anyone else witnessing the scene doesn't look like trauma. Right, right. And, you know, and the thing is, is again, you know, think about now, now that we know brain development, okay, so everybody listening here, now that you know, as an adult, you're thinking with a prefrontal cortex, which is an emotionless part of your brain. And but as a kid, you're thinking from the emotional piece of your brain, because that's where all the wires are being formed. What you don't think is that big of a deal to a kid can be received as a big deal. And that's that piece of brain architecture and brain development understanding that, you know, science and doctors are under, you know, know now, like it doesn't have to actually be like this big T, this big trauma. It's how it's received by the child that matters. And some children are more sensitive than others. You know, I, I sit there and I, you know, I reflect on, you know, the why me, but not in that again, pity party. There's no pity parties where I live. Um, it, but the why me of like, why, why did I take it that way? You know? And I go, Oh, you know, that's, that's the part of the default setting. Like parts that made me really great at learning new topics and being able to kind of reinvent myself because I could just throw myself into something and, and become an expert at it is also what made me really prone to soak in everything, even the bad stuff, like a sponge, you know, everything gets sucked into the sponge, good or bad. And, um, and so I'm like, okay, well, that was my default setting. So gosh, I, great. It's been a you know, huge benefit to me, but it's also been the thing that's like, eh, you know, so we call those sensitive, you know, sensitive kids. Like I don't cry when it gets loud or anything like that, but being empathetically sensitive to so much more things, man, I just, I saw and felt more around the world than maybe my brother did, you know, for whatever reason, just the roll of the dice and how the, the genetic cards were played. So, um, you know, land it with that. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, yeah, th th so this has been fascinating. Uh, I encourage everyone to, to check out One Broken Mom. So what, what's the best way to, to, to find more information about you and the podcast? Um, so the podcast is everywhere on all the podcast platforms. So Apple Podcast, uh, Stitcher, Google, iHeartRadio. Um, I'm going to be getting it listed up on Pandora um, finally. And then, uh, you know, I have a Instagram account. A lot of people connect to me through Instagram or follow what's going on. And that's activitygirl.llc because Activity Girl is a Joan Jett song. So um, I am on Facebook. Find me on Facebook under Ami Kony. And the, the, the show is called One Broken Mom by, hosted by Ami Kony. And so you can go there. Um, I do get a lot of people that follow me on social media, but don't understand how podcasts work. So if you're one of those people, just go to amiqueercony.com and you can find a link that you can actually go to the podcast there or listen, you know, online if you want to. Um, and, and I think that that's actually kind of funny. I actually thought about doing a video showing like, how do you, how do you, how do you podcast? <laughs> you know, how do you listen to it? It's like, it's on your phone. Um, but you know, my name is there. I'm, I am accessible. Um, I will be honest. I get a lot of, uh, uh, requests for dates through emails. I'm not going to answer all of those. So if that's why you're hitting me up, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but if you want to listen to the show, listen to the clips and, uh, and see if there's a place for you in, in my community, you know, there's always room for everybody in all of our communities there and stuff like that. And I welcome you to come along. The show is conversational. I'm not the expert, but I bring them on and talk to them. And I actually also do highlight real people so that we can share these real stories with each other again, so that we understand that we're not living in a bubble. And sometimes we can identify with different people and their different experiences. And, um, and I, you know, the way I talk about it is I'm just on a path. I haven't solved the problem. I haven't, you know, come up with, a, I'm not Buddha here. That's telling everybody how to get to Nirvana. I'm walking, I'm journeying. And if you want to come with me, you're invited to come along the way, because what all I'm doing is I walk down my own trauma healing path. I learn something. I turn around. I'm like going, dude, guess what we're, and this year, like coming up is money disorders, you know, that value statement there of like, you know, one person gets one thing and another person, totally a big hurdle for me. Like I haven't crossed that hurdle yet. And I'm excited about really digging in and kind of overcoming that big, big piece of my life, which is, you know, a variety of different money disorders and, and the psychology and the trauma in there. So I know that sounds like crazy, but it's like, yeah. And I, I told everybody my operative word is anger for 2000. 
2019. And I know that's random, but I finally have gotten in touch with the pissed off teenage girl inside of me. Like we're there now. I've, I've handled six year old a me and all the small things that happened in middle school. And now I'm at the, you know, fuck all of you. I'm going out on my own stage. And so it's like, yeah, let's, let's take care of her. Like, that's the one that's like, I'm ready to help her out, you know, uh, in the script and, and let her go release her finally, you know, once and for all. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I wish you great success with, uh, your year of anger. My year of anger <laughs> and rage. <laughs> but, but no, that, 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 again, anger, again, there's no bad emotion, but yeah, I, anger yeah. awareness of it can drive you right through and smash those money hurdles and, and everything else. Because totally. Yeah. I, I mean, I just find you uh, fascinating and delightful. I, I think you're about as far from broken as any human being can be. Um, but and I know you've got further down the, the, your journey to, to go. Um, yeah, I encourage everyone to, to, to check out the show and, and tune in. Um, but yeah, Thank don't send you. those date a, emails. A, yeah, I mean, and it's not that I'm not, you know, just I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, so I have a question for you. How many women have you had on the show? Oh, I'd have, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, you know. It's not the first. It just, I've been, okay. in a, I've been in a recent rung. It's probably been at least like 10 shows that okay. have been all, all just men. Yeah. But no. Okay. No. Yeah, okay, no. good. I was going to say, geez, I, I, I felt like, you know, I should have dressed up better for this if this was like, you know. <laughs> No, 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 cool. no, no, it just, it had just been a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah, probably it's been all masculine since uh, the MGTOW people got involved and uh, had me deviate. So maybe that rubbed off on me, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, post a rating, review, give a share, a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Visit realmenfield.org. Check us out on Facebook, send us feedback, and we'll talk to you again soon. Be good to yourself. Bye. And thank you. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Reach out to us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Until next time, visit realmenfeel.org or the Real Men Feel Facebook group and share what you thought of this episode. Please give this podcast a review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.